0: This episode of The Ziegler Show is for my fellow introverts. The world gives so much focus to extroverts and really gives the perception they are superior and advantaged. In this episode, my expert introvert, Matthew Pollard, corrects this errant notion and showcases it's us, the introverts, who have the true edge. Welcome, everyone. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is The Ziggler Show, where our focus is increasing your performance in your personal and professional life, drawing straight from the legacy of one of the most inspiring leaders of our age, Zig Ziglar. Twice per month, I bring you more than an interview, but an authentic interaction between myself and a guest who has achieved something profound by building an incredible business that serves people for a greater purpose. I dig in and unearth the ups and downs that led them to their great achievements. So you can hear they are just real people who did things you and I can do too. Matthew Pollard first wrote the introverts edge, how the quiet and shy can outsell anyone as it was his life story. An introvert who initially failed miserably at sales. He taught himself to succeed and he did so to a dramatic degree of success, but it wasn't by becoming something he was not, but by leveraging his natural strengths as an introvert. I was sent his second book that's just coming out. It's called The Introvert's Edge to Networking. Work the room, leverage social media, and develop powerful connections. And it caught my attention because I am an absolute introvert and I do not like traditional networking. In this discussion, you'll hear why introverts don't just have a chance to shine with sales and networking, but we actually have an edge and not by becoming extroverts. I brought Matthew on because I think this is sorely information that will empower so, so many of you and you know, me too. And yes, extroverts will do well to listen to this episode as well. They'll actually do well to just do that. Listen, as you'll hear, uh, you can get the first chapter of the introverts edge to networking at the introverts edge.com slash networking. If you're new to The Ziggler Show, it's one of my three podcasts. You can find them all and more at my website, kevinmiller.co, or on any social media at kevinmillerco. At the website, you'll find some show highlights and resources and the videos of me with my guests and co-hosts. My Motive Podcast is my flagship and where here on The Ziggler Show, we talk a lot about what people have done. In my Motive Podcast, we talk about why, what are their reasons for doing all they have done, good and bad. I believe motive is a root issue of all personal Development and one we as a culture are missing. Then I have the true life podcast where my co-host, Dr. Randy James, and I talk about your health and wellness, but more importantly, the psychology of striving to be well in this unwell culture. The point is not health and wellness in and of itself, but as a means to an end. If you want your life running at top notch, you need to be too. In all the shows, we do a lot of Q and a and engagement. And I invite you to join us on Facebook at Kevin Miller CEO. All right, Matthew, I'm going to start off by letting you clarify what you mean by introvert. Uh, And I actually looked it up and, you know, use the, we use the word all the time, but I hadn't really thought about it, but I look at everything kind of like personality profiles that there's no, you know, one thoroughbred personality style in this. I'm an introvert, but man, I've met a lot of introverts. I actually looked up and it's just, you know, not that it's a source, but I found at the top of a list when I searched it, a psychologist, Jonathan Cheek, he teaches uh, personal personality psychology at Wellesley college. He's, he cites four types of introverts. And I thought it was interesting. He says social thinking, anxious, and restrained point being though, give us your take when you define introverts, how you structure that.
1: You know, it's, it's interesting. So I do my best to try and simplify it because I think the problem is psychologists have made it way too confusing. And then mm. you have people saying, well, am I introverted or am I shy? Or am I highly sensitive? Yeah. And it, for the average person, like we need to know how to understand it in a way that we can gravitate to the skills and strategies that work for us so my honest answer would be that if you draw your energy from being with people you're an extrovert if you draw your energy from being by yourself or with a small number of others then you're an introvert and, and by the way it doesn't actually matter I mean you know this topic obviously around introversion extroversion it's not introverts are second-class citizens I mean their path to just success is is different to that of an, an extrovert and as soon as they embrace that they can be a Amazing networkers and salespeople. I think the difference is that an extrovert, you know, while some might say they're not the best listeners and they're not the most empathetic in the world, sometimes the difference is they don't see it as a Achilles' heel. They know that those are skills that they can learn and master. An introvert doesn't know that when it comes to those skills. They think that they have to have this gift of gab to be successful, yeah. and that's why I spend my time making sure people understand it's just about where you draw your energy.
0: I I love that because, yeah, my wife and I are classic. She is the extrovert. We go out and be with a bunch of people, and she is rejuvenated afterwards. I am depleted. Now, you know, with that, Shalene Johnson, I had her on show 599, and she said during the show, we got to talking about it, and she said she's an extroverted introvert, and I thought, man, I, I relate to that because I can turn it on. I'm not uncomfortable, but it is a performance, whereas my wife doesn't have to turn anything on. It's just her. And I've got a son who is more of the classic introvert. He, and they would say, people would say, oh yeah, he's kind of shy. Nobody's ever said that I'm shy, but man, it depletes my energy. So I appreciate that definition. I think that helps a lot.
1: You know, I, I would say, though, I, I just always careful for introverts that that say, oh, you know, I'm an in, I mean, I was an introvert, but now I'm more extroverted or I can play more extroverted. And, you know, my my hurdle with that is that an introvert's path to success is not trying to become more extroverted. Okay. You know, that's going to lead you feeling inauthentic, incongruent. It's going to make you feel exhausted. And for me, I find that I come across to everybody that sees me as extroverted. You know, you see me on a podcast like this, I've got plenty to say. And you see me out networking, I've got plenty to say. But I'm strategic. I'm well-planned. I'm well-prepared. And that means it doesn't draw from me. I actually enjoy it. The difference is I'm more like a kid at Disneyland. I'll enjoy all the rides. But when I come home, I want to go straight to sleep.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. I appreciate you saying that too, because even when we look at entrepreneurs. And so throughout my lifetime as an entrepreneur and an advocate, I have often come to that of saying, look, guys, you get this perspective that to be in business world. Well, you actually said, you know, you talk about the challenges of navigating a business world that demands networking, sales, leadership, and strong personalities. And I've been aware for so long that as you, well, you know, you even say that you talk about it's right here on the book. You say introverts can actually make the best networkers. And yet in the business world, in this influencer world, whatever, who do you hear from mostly? Well, it's the extroverts. So you get that errant perspective that, Oh, that's what it takes to be a podcaster, a speaker, a leader. And then no, it's just that the people who are willing to, we're just the ones mouthing off about it. Right?
1: You know, it's interesting, though, because everyone says that. And I I think, you know, I remember seeing this guy, Dan Walshmit, Walshmit speak from stage. And I remember going, gosh, I wish I had that natural talent. I mean, bear in mind, you know, Top Sales World magazine lists me as one of the top 50 speakers in the world. And I'm still looking at everyone that's successful from stage going, I wish I had that talent, right? That natural charisma, right? We do it all the time as introverts. We look at somebody that's successful and we project extroversion upon them. I mean, you see a, a great guest on a podcast, a great podcast host. I mean, you've just identified as an introvert. And what I'm already telling from this interview, you've done your research, you've got studies to point to, like introverts are great at that. Like if you've done all of your due diligence, you know, you go into things well prepared, you have a natural advantage. And, you know, even when it comes to things like sales, you know, we, when we look at sales, I mean, Brian Tracy, who is an extrovert says the top 10% of all you know, top performers have a planned presentation, right? That's introvert, extrovert, regardless. The problem is the bottom 80% just say whatever comes out of their mouth. And mm. what that means is that the people that are best at just saying whatever comes out of their mouth are, are extroverted. But the top 10%, I mean, you look at people like, you know, uh, Zig Ziglar, who I'm sure everyone's a, a fan of uh, this show, you know, he was an, an introvert. You look at amazing networkers, you know, the founder of B&I, Ivan Meisner, a personal friend of mine, and he's an introvert as well. So if it really is that extroverts of dominating those arenas, why is it that the top of all of these echelons happen to have so many introverts? And the answer is that if an introvert armed with the right strategy, a systematic strategy that leverages their natural strengths, it allows them to dominate in all these arenas, not by becoming more extroverted, but because they're only so-called extroverted arenas. The truth is that introverts do those skill sets amazingly, as long as they're not trying to be anything that's not themselves.
0: It's interesting. It reminds me again, going back to entrepreneurs that you get that perspective of an entrepreneur is a risk taker, right? And I think because I'm the consummate you know, risk taker, I'll go start something. I have no problem with it not working out and trying something new. I'll do that over and over. And once something succeeds, however, I'm really bad at running businesses. Uh, truth be told, my wife said that one time. She says, honey, you're not really that great of a businessman, even though that's what you teach, but I'm great at starting things and finding opportunities. So I have my skill set amongst those. And over here, I see these people who are more risk averse, but my gosh, when they come on to something, they're much better at running a business, a sustainable business, and even growing it. It, then again, over here, the people who tend to get billed for that, you know, you talked about being on stage. Do you enjoy it? Talking about energy? Okay, and... not,
1: not just before I go on okay. you say it that way. So <laughs> one of the things, whenever I talk to a, um, you know, so I, I, I get booked for a lot of events and virtual, you know, it's interesting. You know, I get to be in my own space when I, when I do virtual events and it's a different experience. But when I do live events, I'm always the person that will tell the event organizer, I'm going to disappear just before my presentation hmm. and I'm, I'm going to be local. But for about 10 minutes beforehand, what I'm doing is I'm rehearsing and I'm rehearsing my opening lines, the first three lines that are kind of come out of my mouth over and over and over again, because I'm always uncomfortable walking hmm. on a stage where there's you know hundreds, thousands of people. However, what I find is the moment I walk on stage, I start telling a story. And the amazing science around story is that it, you know, it, it, what it does is it creates, it actually activates our reticular activating systems of our brains. So a study out of Princeton. And it actually creates this artificial rapport by getting our brains to synchronize. Now, an introvert leveraging the power of story like that, I get on, I start telling a story. I immediately feel at ease. I immediately feel everybody else in the audience Feel at ease and then all of a sudden i'm comfortable yeah. and then i could stay up there for an hour two hours i can answer questions i can do whatever you want me to do i'm on stage i'll then answer all the questions afterwards yeah. but when i get home that anxiety energy before i went on stage which i think actually helps me be more dynamic on stage is absolutely gone and you know i'm the guy that you know wants to go back to the room put on a hoodie switch on netflix and talk to no one and after an hour i'm okay but for that hour, you know, I've always got that nervous anxiety over, you know, it's, it's just it's, it's it's not fun there. And it's not fun the 10 minutes before. But I have to tell you that time that I'm on stage because I feel like I'm giving value to everybody, because I've, I've realized and, you know, this came from advice from Ryan Dice, the founder of Digital Marketer. By the way, you know, he runs a, an event called Traffic Conversion, one of the biggest you know, conferences in America for, for digital marketers. And he's an introvert and he speaks on stage all the time. And he said to me, he said, when I noticed the change, it was when I decided it wasn't about me. It was about everybody in the room and how I could help them. He said, as soon as I channeled that, he said I was fine. So I realized that it was about everybody in the room and what I could impart on them. And then leading in with the story i feel totally comfortable on stage i'm always one of those people that you know i I, obviously people like you to finish on time and i make sure i do but i would happily just keep going until people are you know said it's time you need to get off the stage it's just getting on and when i'm done i feel it
0: and i want to talk about that aspect of networking that you talk about having your book storytelling but you know with for you matthew when did you become aware of that, you're kind of what you talked about, that you were stri- – or did you, I should say, realize you were striving to be something that you weren't? And when did you become cognizant of, oh, I'm not this natural extroverted salesperson or networker?
1: Yes. I mean, I, I think I've always known that I wasn't a natural – I was definitely never a natural conversationalist. Right. And I think that that gravitates to sales, networking, public speaking. I think that for me, I always was a little bit shy and uncomfortable around people. And I always I was always stuck in my head, working out what to say. And like when I was in school, I I found that people would joke around. And by the time I figured out what to say, the joke was over and everybody moved on. So I knew there was always something there. But also, I mean, I grew up with uh, horrible uh, reading issues. So I got diagnosed with dyslexia when I was young. And it was misdiagnosed. I actually got, for the people that are watching this uh, with video, I actually got diagnosed later when I was 16 thanks to a mother that just would not give up finding me a solution uh, with a thing called Erlen syndrome, which basically means I put on a funny pair of glasses that's got colored lenses and miraculously I can learn to read. Now, not like everybody else in my age group, but, you know, I could start the process of learning. So from 16 to 18, you know, I hustled to get through school. You know, I managed to get in the top 20% of my state. But, I mean, I graduated. I had a horrible acne. I was the kid with funny lenses and braces. It's, it's not exactly you're imagining the popular kid. Mm. And so for me, you know, I always was very uncomfortable with everything that I did. I mean, I wouldn't have been. I mean, I know my first book was on sales and how to succeed as an introverted salesperson. But I would never have been in sales if, the job that I took straight out of high school, because I agreed with my family that I would take a year off to find myself, because the last two years of high school, that hustle was so hard on me. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I took a job at a real estate agency and not in the front selling, in the back office doing data entry with a look on my face like, don't speak to me. I'm here to find myself. Mm-hmm. And what happened was I lost my job just before Christmas, uh, just because they decided to shut down the office. And, I mean, in Australia, they don't hire anyone around Christmas. I mean, we go on a month-long holiday. We go on the – I mean, it's summer and Christmas in Australia, right? Everything's backwards. So on the 20th of December, we go on holidays. We don't come back till the 15th or 20th of January. The only jobs that I could find were these commission-only sales roles. So I begrudgingly applied for three of them. I got interviews for all three. I got all three jobs. It turns out they just hire everyone in Mm commission-only sales roles. But yeah, I mean, that was my entrance into sales. I mean, I got five days product training, not a single second of sales training, and then thrown on this road, Sydney Road in Melbourne, Australia. And I remember like going into my first door and not having a clue what to say and then just bumbling through it. And luckily I was politely told to leave. Then shortly after that, I was less politely told to leave. Then I was sworn at. My personal favorite was always, why don't you go and get a real job though? Because this was the only job I could get, yeah. right? But door after door, that just kept happening until so I got to the 93rd door where I made my first sale. And I remember I was ecstatic for about 45 seconds until I had that next realization for the day. You know, I've got to do this again tomorrow and the next and the next. And it wasn't okay. And I think a lot of people do this with networking, with sales, with public speaking. They decide, well, this is just the way it's going to be. So they do one of two things. The small business world now has really em- em- emboldened themselves to hustle and grind it out. They're mm. proud of it even. The problem is if you if it's 93 dollars today and you grind it out, it's 97, tomorrow it's 94, the next it's maybe 18 because you're lucky, right? It's not going to get any better. And then a bunch of people quit, right? 18 in my training group all quit within 24 hours. But I decided there had to be another path. And I actually gravitated to YouTube videos. And actually, you know, some of Zig Ziglar's videos were some of the ones that I found where I was actually – I typed in sales system because I couldn't exactly pick up a book. You know, my, With my reading speed, speed, it would have taken a year to read it. But I typed in sales system and all these videos came up and I started to focus on every day, I'd spend eight hours out in the field selling, eight hours at home practicing the next step in the process. And every day I get gradually better by just making the decision that it had to be a system. Well, soon it was, you know, 71 doors, then 48 doors, then 36, then 18. I got it down eventually to three doors on average before I'd make a sale. And about six weeks in, my manager pulled me aside and he said, Matt, we're kind of blown away by this. I mean, I thought I was in trouble because, you know, I'd been called into the office and I was the quiet guy that handed my paperwork in downstairs. And he said, Matt, you're actually the number one salesperson in the company, which just happened to be the largest sales and marketing company in the Southern Hemisphere. So, I mean, I always knew that I was quiet. I always knew that I was reserved. I always knew that I didn't have the right thing to say. But what I learned was, and I think this was because the world didn't work for me ever. I mean, I couldn't read. I couldn't focus on school. You know, everything didn't work. So I always had to find another way. I mean, just discovering this pair of glasses meant there's always a solution out there. So in my head, I was looking for the solution. I found that in sales had to be a system. And I've applied that in everything else I've done in my life. I mean, fast forward just shy of a decade, I was responsible for five multimillion-dollar success stories. And when I moved to the U.S. not knowing a soul, you know, I applied the same, it's got to be a system to networking. And that's what led to the second book.
0: You are listening to The Ziegler Show with Matthew Pollard about the introvert's edge to networking. Next, I ask him about the skill of becoming a great networker, which you'll hear is just like becoming a great salesperson. It's not a natural gift, but a learned skill. And as an introvert, you can harness your nature to have an edge. Here are some great resources for you, then we'll get right back to it. So on that as in Ziglar we talk about sales so much always talk about the reality that you're not just a natural born salesperson Zig was very outspoken with that that you are taught talk about that in regards to networking and yeah having the gift of gab and it being so unnatural for a lot of us as being a trained skill that's not age again, just like sales. It's not a manipulation. It's not a, you know, just a, a strategy, but it is a structure at least.
1: Well, it's a complete structure. I mean, so, I mean, if you can systemize a sale, networking is actually a lot easier than that. But the thing is that networking, I think the biggest issue that people have is that they think that networking is organic. And that's a lot of times, I mean, we've got to take a step back and think about the average introvert that goes networking, right? They, something happens, they lose their job or they realize their pipeline's running a little bit thin and they don't have enough coming in. So they're like, okay, I'm going to have to go networking. So they blindly pick a networking group and then they put it the furthest away from their mind as they possibly can before they go, right? And then eventually it pops up in their schedule and says, you have to go. And in the time they should be thinking about what to do, they're actually thinking about why they don't need to go. And then orig- eventually they go, okay, let's just go anyway. And then they go in and then it doesn't work out so well. Well, of course it didn't work out so well. You set yourself up for failure. Now, the reason for why they do that or why anybody does that, is because they see networking as what we see in the real world that really gravitates from door-to-door sales. It's like that transactional network. Do you want to buy from me? No. Do you want to buy from me? No. Do you want to buy? What about you? It's terrible. And no introvert wants to do that but then the other option is more this aimless style of networking which is you know they talking about everything on such a surface level where you don't feel comfortable talking about your products and services and you have such shallow conversations with everybody so when you actually get out you've got all these business cards but you don't really have enough to go on to even follow them up so you put them on your desk and you're like if they call me, then I'll work with them. But of course they never do. So we have this view of networking that it doesn't work. The truth is it does work. Everyone's just doing it wrong. You have to have a methodical process. I mean, firstly, you should plan out everything you're going to say. And to do that, you need to understand that you need to know who your niche is. I mean, if you're going for a job, know the type of employers, the type of industries you love to work in. If you know that you're perhaps a business coach and you love working with service providers, go to where the service providers are. Or if you just love working with business coaches, coaches, go where the business coaches hang out, but you've got to work out what is the marketplace that I need to go to? Because if you're a PR agent, your ideal client's not at the average PR meetup. So you've got to make sure you're going to the right place. You Then these days, I mean, with meetup.com and all the websites out there, you can check who's going before you even go. So you can start to reach out and connect with people. So when you get there, people know that you're there. They already have spoken to you. They've already connected. You've already had that little dialogue you can practice what you're going to say. And I think this is the most important. If you do your planning correctly, a networking event should be a series of almost pre planned conversations, but to you, it should feel like Groundhog Day, a contrived conversation where not where you're sounding scripted, but where you're actually getting the opportunity to present the best version of yourself because you've practiced it. But to everyone else, it should come across as organic. And that starts... know, well before you even go to the networking room. I mean, my belief is 90% of all networking success happens before you even walk in the room. But the average introvert and extrovert, but they can, they can wing it sometimes and it works. An introvert will beat them at networking because of that. But the average introvert should not walk into a room and just start networking from that moment. They're destined to fail.
0: Well, in talk on that, even just the goal of networking, I mean, early on at the first, I don't know what I went to, you know, a chamber of commerce, I'm sure, something like that thing. And you walk in and it, it dawned on me at some point that we're all here and you're trying to sell to me and I'm trying to sell to you. This is the dumbest thing I've ever done. And I don't think I ever went back to one, you know, like that. And, but it is still the errant, old, out old school perspective of that. And you talk to that, in the book. It might even be in the gosh, the, the unified message, you know, to to stand out, but that we're not going there necessarily, in my paraphrasing, to look for prospects as much as alliances.
1: Well, I mean, there are two things. So sure. the first thing is, no, you definitely, I mean, most people think they go to a networking room to get prospects. And of course, when you're desperate, of course, you want to see everyone as a prospect. But, you know, I mean, I, I'm i on this podcast today because of a relationship that I made with a guy called Jim Cathcart, who introduced me to Tom Ziegler. So the, the whole focal point from that was Jim needed some help. And I didn't see him as a prospect. I saw him as one of these other two categories. And by the way, if you're trying to get out of the hamster wheel of networking, and my whole book's about learning how to network well, so you never have to go back to networking. So for me, the other two categories are your way out of that. The first group, or I should say prospects are your first group. Momentum partners are your second. These are the people that believe in your work and see value in it. So they will introduce you to podcast guests, uh, to be a guest on people's podcasts, to prospective clients, to other people that may be part of the third category, which we'll talk about in a second. And you'll do the same for them because you believe in their work, not because you've signed an agreement to do so, but because you just both truly, genuinely believe in each other and want to support each other's mission. However, the third group is the champions, and these are the people that give credibility to your work. Like Tom, you know, endorsing my, my my book, like Ivan Meisner endorsing my book. The people that will share out to their audience, and it gives credibility, and again, connects you with customers. When you have momentum partners and champions in your corner, finding prospects really isn't that difficult. But to get yourself out of that hamster wheel, you can't just go to networking rooms looking for sales. And by the way, you should never even sell if somebody asks to buy in a networking room, because that's not what networking's about. But the important thing is you're never even going to get to that if you don't get a dialogue that's positive in the first place. And I think that's what happens often in networking. Like somebody will go into a networking room and they'll say, what is it you do? And then you'll answer. I mean, I remember the first time I said I was a sales trainer, people looked at me like I was just one step above a scam artist because that was the experience they had with the last sales trainer that they worked with. And I'm like, I'm never saying that again. The next time I said, oh, I'm a marketer. And they went, oh, we need marketing. How much does that cost? And what, now I'm talking about price? It's just this horrible situation. So yeah, what what I talk about is coming up with what I call a unified message. And the design around this is to transfer the balance from feeling like you're shoving something down someone's throat that they didn't ask for to, you know, getting them to ask questions because they're interested. You know, Nick, uh, Nick Jensen's a great example of that. You know, when Nick first came to me, I mean, he was an insurance salesperson and, you know, he said to me, you know, the moment somebody comes to talk to me and they ask me what I do and I say I'm in insurance sales, you can see their eyes scream. It's like, how am I gonna get away with it from this person? I don't wanna be sold insurance. I know what's about to come. And I said, okay, so the reason why that happens is, I mean, firstly, you didn't talk about your passion and your mission, which I talk about, but you didn't get to that because they heard insurance, they commoditized you and automatically disqualified you as something I already know and I don't want, right? Now, the best opportunity when you do that is I acknowledge that I do want it and how much do you cost, which also isn't positive. So I said, help me understand, because I like to design a message around passion, purpose, mission. So let me ask you, why did you get into insurance? Because, I mean, everybody gets into their business for a reason. I mean, they go to this education and to study something for a reason. They gravitate to certain jobs. What was yours? I just want to help people. I said, "Okay. well, let me ask you. If somebody earned $50,000 a year or somebody earned $250,000 a year, which one of those would you like to help more? And he said, "Well, obviously the 250,000." And I'm like, "Well, why?" And he said, "Well, you know, they earn more so they can afford more stuff." And I said, "All right, well, not really what I'm going with then. You know, I don't really want you to say I want you as a client cuz I want to go out and buy a new Bentley." So, let's take a step back and let's say two people earning 250,000 a year. The guy that came from a poor upbringing, hustled to get into Harvard, graduated with honors, ends up a C-level executive, making 250,000 a year, versus the person that goes into business for themselves, hires a whole bunch of people, and then earns 250,000 a year. Which one of those would you like to help the most? And he said, well, obviously the business owner. And I said, well, why obviously? I mean, the guy from Harvard hustled really hard. And he said, I just feel like they deserve it more. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, I had a grandfather that opened, that started a farm and he employed all of these people. And then he got sick. And because he didn't prioritize himself, his business and the staff, he said when he got sick, he had to sell the farm and he ended up moving to an apartment. And he goes, the last 10 years of my of my grandfather's life, I just watched him wither away on the couch and die in front of the TV. He said, I just, you know, I don't want anyone else to have to live like that. I said, well, what if you could get up every morning and only work with business owners to help them not live miserable retirements like your grandfather by protecting themselves earlier? He said, oh, that'd be great. I said, well, instead of calling yourself an insurance salesperson, why don't we call you the hustle lifeguard instead? And when you call yourself the Hustle lifeguard, people brains, I mean, they will almost short circuit because they've never heard that before. So they'll lean in, and they'll go, oh, what exactly is that? And then you can talk about your passion and mission for helping the hustlers of this world, not go to live in unhappy retirements like your grandfather and then go into a story about somebody that that did that, or just tell your grandfather's story about how he could have used products and services to specifically get himself out of that horrible situation that he got into. I mean, this was a guy that worked in insurance for an organization. Usually I work with introverted service providers primarily, but. He came to me and he's like, I, I really need your help. And now, I mean, he, he did so well within his organization and now he's got his own business and he, he's work, you know, he's working less hours, he's getting more clients. And what's interesting is even the people that aren't his niche, the people that aren't small business owners, because I mean, let's face it, most people go to networking events. We don't hear people that are passionate about anything for years sometimes. They hear his passion for helping the small business owners and they're like, well, I'm not a small business owner, but I love your passion. Do you think you can help me too? What happens when we go to networking events is we do this commoditization boring dance. Instead, if you lead with a unified message like, the hustle lifeguard or me, I'm the rapid growth guy. And then talk about your mission and purpose and lead into a story. People get intoxicated by that power of the the mission, the purpose, the story, and there's so much science behind why the brain gets intoxicated. They can't help but want to get closer to you and want to hire you, work with you, or just be a champion for your cause.
0: Well, and you talk about passion. I mean, you lead off in the book with understanding your passion, which is near and dear to my heart. I have another podcast we just launched called motive and it's around uh, the topic of an upcoming book. And it is knowing that why, what is the reason that you are there? Are you there at that networking event to sell? Or are you there to figure out who you can help? Kind of back to what you talked about, changing your paradigm when you're on stage. Is this about Matthew or is this about what you can offer to the people out here? So, you know, people have heard plenty about passion and purpose, and yet it still comes up because we're still lacking it so much. Just like you said, how often can you go to a networking event? You never hear any passion, you never hear any good story. Everybody has, and I like the word used because I use it a lot to commoditize themselves And so we're stepping back. And you're saying before that, before this, this is primary foundational to networking going out there before you do, in essence, know what you are about. Why are you out there? And if you don't well, to that standpoint, maybe you should question yourself. If you can't come up with what is the reason that I'm doing this other than to make a buck?
1: Well, the problem is people come at it the wrong way. I mean, people tend to inherit their goals from their mother, their father. I don't know drunk roommates they had in college. Mm-hmm. They just hear these things and they're like, oh, I want that, I'm going to charge after it. And the things they think they want, uh, the convertible, the fancy house, so that, you know, all those sorts of things. The, I mean, the number of people that start their own business and they say they want a million dollar business, but they actually started their business to spend more time with their family, mm-hmm. right? So there's this imbalance in what they say they want and what they actually want. And, you know, I've actually got a podcast episode on my Better Business Coach podcast that I call it, Forget About Goals, Why is the Key to Success?, And I set this exercise where I ask people to set three business goals, three personal goals, one selfish to themselves, because sure, that's going to be the one that drives them. But then I get themselves to summarize each one of those goals in 250 words or less, including why it's important to them. And I watch high achievers. They write their goals quickly and then they can't come up with more than one or two lines of a why. Yes, exactly. It's because they don't care about those goals. So it forces them to rethink what actually is important to me. And, you know, one thing I mean. I say this all the time, but there is like I I can create rapid growth out of any business. This I've learned. But the truth is, there's nothing worse than a rapid growth business with customers you can't stand in a business you don't like. And in truth, I mean, I've done that. I mean, I I remember my first business. I, I won the 2007 Young Achiever Award in Melbourne, Australia. And I remember, I mean, I did everything to prove everyone else wrong. I mean, that's why I started the business, right? I mean, I'd been the, the slow kid that everyone said couldn't achieve anything. And then next thing I knew, I was a great salesperson. I got promoted seven times and started this business and it was turning over millions of dollars. And, you know, I won this award. And I remember I had the best of everything looking out of my 270 degree view apartment in Melbourne, Australia, in the tallest building in the country. And I remember going, I'm miserable. If success looks like this, you can keep it. I do not want it. And it was at that point, I kind of went on a lot of self-discovery. And what I realized is that if I wasn't doing something where I felt like I truly served, and let's face it, it was telecommunication. Sure, I made great money. And sure, I could delude myself and say, if I save someone $1,000 a year off their phone bill and their markup's 10%, then, you know, I'm saving them days that they have to be in a retail store selling or whatever. But I just felt like I could do more to help. And you know the reason that I start this business, and you know I, I hope everyone can tell that you know I'm very passionate about this when they're listening. But you think this is an introvert speaking? When you tap an introvert passion, gosh, they can talk for days. Their energy is unsurmountable. It's it's huge, and that's what I realized when I could real when I discovered that what my true passion was was helping the introverted service provider create a business that create rapid growth within their business. That changed everything because. I had to really think about what I cared about. And I remember watching, you know, growing up, and I'd watched, this, I watched a family across the road. And, you know, they were so excited about the business that they started together. And they were so happy until they really weren't. And then they, you could see they weren't communicating well. And then I got to watch, I, I got to visit my friend only half as often because he visited his dad sometimes and his mum the other. And I realized that business, I mean, it, it's There's something heroic about a person that has enough skill, talent, and belief in themselves to go and start their own business. And there's nothing sadder than watching that person in this constant hamster wheel of struggling to find interested people, setting themselves apart and making the sale. And they get into this delusion that people only care about price. But it's because they don't know how to articulate the value of what they do in a networking room. I mean, most people they can't explain the value of what they provide when somebody's politely listening for three minutes. And now imagine with COVID, them going online when they only get half a second, they have no chance. But to watch those people fade away, die in their business and in their soul, really, because this was something that they really wanted to create for them and their family, that their savings have gone. I hated that. And what I realized is that I could help those people by doing what I know how to do best. And it's funny, as soon as I realized that, and I went, okay, what I really want to do is work with introverted service providers to help them obtain rapid growth. It was like this, it was like this adrenaline of energy that I could wake up after four hours sleep and I'm still fine. You know, I, I remember w- getting kept up at Thanksgiving cause I didn't know how much you Americans party for Thanksgiving. And I had a video shoot planned the next day after two TV interviews and I was keeping all the recording team energized because they were exhausted while I was the one that was on camera. When you can tap what you do into passion, an introvert that has a great strategy that's channeling their passion is almost unstoppable in my mind.
0: I Totally agree, and I, I appreciate what you said. That you've got those goals out there, and if you can't come up with a line or two or a paragraph or more about why, then it's because you don't really want that. And I'll, hey, it's shameless self-promotion—that's what I talk about in my Motive podcast. That a lot of folks, you guys, are listening to. But I want you know that you mentioned. Uh, in so many words, a niche. Again, have you know, knowing that target market, and again, this is one of these things that I remember breaking my teeth or break uh, uh, refining my teeth on niche marketing a long time ago, and yet here we are in today's day and age, and people still miss it in a dramatic fashion. So here, you know, I'm holding up your book for those who are watching the video. You know, the Introvert's Edge to Networking. Now, I'll tell you because I've read it, it will give anybody an edge to networking, but. You'll sell more copies because it says the introvert. That's why you're on here. That's what caught my attention. If it just said the edge to networking, I would not have been interested. It just wouldn't. It would have been that vanilla, you know, thing. Like you said, you know, I'm a sales coach, you know, whatever. And the value of putting it there, and yet, you know, uh, 30 years into my own career or so now. And I'm amazed at how often people come out. They've got an idea. They've got a business. They've got something they care about, and they don't do the work of giving a specific why. Back to that USP, you know, your unique selling proposition of why you and not somebody else. And so few people do it. And as you know, there's gigantic multi-million dollar corporations who still don't do it well. And here you've done that, and you've given yourself a couple by saying, not just you know, I'm not going to go just networking. I'm going to focus on introverts. One because. You have a passion for it because you dealt with it yourself. Uh, but then you also did the rapid growth, you know, coach, as opposed to some very vanilla variation of a business coach or a consultant or something like that. And I want people to hear it loud and clear. I I appreciate here, here, here's the quote out of your book: to be exciting to a few, you need to exclude the rest. It's still illogical, you know that, especially to the person starting out. Well, I don't want to exclude anybody, I need to make a sale. But if you're vanilla, I, I shouldn't say that cause a lot of people like that. I love vanilla ice cream, but you get the point. If you don't yeah. give people a specific reason, you're gonna get beat out by somebody who does.
1: Well, the thing is Kevin, it, it, it's scary for people, especially when you're new and any customer's a good customer to exclude anyone you feel uncomfortable. And what I tell people all the time is, and, and this is one of the mistakes that people make. They feel like if they niche down, they have to fire anyone that they already have as a client that doesn't fit that niche not about that. You don't have to I mean I've got, you know, Oracle, Intel, Microsoft, they're all product-based companies. When they call me and they say, "Hey Matt, we'd love to work with you." I don't say, "Sorry, I only work with introverted service providers." Right. I say, "Sure, let's talk about that." But in my outward marketing, nobody's going to hear me unless I've got a concise message. One of the things that I always tell people is if you can't be the clearest, you have to be the loudest. And as an introvert, I'm just not the loudest. So because of that, I have to focus on being strategic in everything that I do. Now, you Right, I get people all the time. I mean, you'll see, you know, my my first book has you know over a thousand reviews on Audible and Amazon, and so many people have said this book's not just for introverts; it's for extroverts too. And the truth is, the strategies will work. However, the extrovert is more likely to read the strategy and then go back to winging it because that's what they love to do. Mm-hmm. An introvert will hold on to these strategies for dear life and get better and better at it all the time. But secondly, my unique understanding of an introvert's psyche is what makes that book powerful. It's what makes my New book, powerful because people instead of going, oh, it, it doesn't work for me. I'm an introvert. They hear it, and what's interesting is you know, the, and you know, Jeb Jeb Blunt wrote this in the foreword for my new book. He said, Matt, there's. A lot of introverted leaders. I mean, Jeff Blunt is introverted, as we said. Zig Ziglar was introverted. So many other people in the sales world, in the yeah. the, the the leadership level, are introverted. He said, but Matt was the first one to come out and say, "I'm going to confront this stigma head on, and I'm going to own up to being introverted and and create a book for them." And what's funny is, I never wanted to write the book. It's just that because with my reading issues, I ended up working with a ghostwriter to get it done. And you know, it was a client that I'd worked with. It was like a work walking case study. So I'm like, all right, it makes sense to do it. But it was only because every everybody kept telling me no one's going to buy a book on introverted selling. And I went, how is it that a completely uncatered for market, there's no one that's going to buy it. And that's why, I mean, the book did 40,000 copies and that's why it led to the second. And I see The Introvert's Edge being a series of books that I want to see on every library. And, you know, hopefully it becomes more than just me, because again, you know, there are certain topics that I'm not going to be able to talk about that I'd love to see introverts, you know, The Introvert's Guide to Parenting perhaps, you know, I'm not there yet and I'd love to see that exist. But for me, I'm focused on the mission of helping introverts realize they're not second class citizens and helping them discover their path to success. Now, for me, you know, that, so many introverts have got behind that because they believe in my mission. They believe in what I'm passionate about. And then, yes, yeah, sure. I mean, it works well from a marketing perspective as well because you see the word, oh, introverts edge. And like, oh, I haven't heard of that before. And in truth, yes, people say you're cutting out such a huge market by not writing this book for extroverts as well. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but nobody would have read it if I had have let them in. The well,
0: it's why you're, again, it's why you're here. That title or you know, the introvert, that is why I said, okay, let me let me check this guy out. And that's why you're here talking to Everybody, introverts and extroverts, but man, I just appreciate. So, I, I just did an interview with an actor, Matthew Del Negro. He's in uh, Showtime City on the Hill right now, opposite Kevin Bacon, and just had a fun. Uh, it's, I don't think it's even come out yet. It's episode thirteen of my Motive Show, and he talked. We, we just really, you know, hit it off. But he talked. He has a podcast as well, just like you, and he talked about, uh, you know, how people think he's a rock star on there because I only bring people on who I know I can resonate with. And I, I said, absolutely. Well, why am I brilliant on my shows? Because I bring people on whose topics I care about and I have some knowledge about. I'm not on here talking about politics. I'm not on here talking about finances because I'll sound very ignorant you know, if I do. So it's chapter six of your book where you talk about speaking to the right people in essence. And I love that. It's being discerning about who you talk to and talk to who you can be the most efficient with it's it's kind of the business perspective of do you want to you know help and guide the people who already know they want what you have or are you out here trying to awaken people to the need thank goodness for those people but I'm not an awakener I'm gonna to talk to people who are already kind of in my wheelhouse but that is a big deal I'm, I'm so much more comfortable talking to you about a topic that you that I I am uh, you know understanding of one and two yeah you you did craft it more towards an introvert that's me you spoke my language and and here we are i just i want people to hear that loud and clear and again you talked about it in chapter 6 of your book
1: well what's interesting though is is the support that i've received just because i excluded the rest like if you look at the endorsements that are on both of these books it goes beyond that i mean they're sharing on social media you know susan kane is sharing about my new book coming out marshall goldsmith is sharing about my new book coming out it's i'm getting this overwhelming support because these people are like yes he's speaking to an audience that's underserved mm-hmm. it's because of that mission but you know on my I've got another podcast called the introvert's edge and instead of just being like a guest show like everyone else that that has one of those shows you know I decided that I just wanted to confront the, the the stigma around introversion so I interview people on their upbringing and their their unique introverted struggles and the unique skill sets that they learned and how they succeeded and how introverted uh, introversion played a key in that success and then yeah. I asked them a question at the end what is their introvert's edge? And we get these amazing answers. I mean, the founder of uh, Ugg Boots, billion dollar brand Ugg Boots, is an introvert. And he talks about, you know, wheeling shoes door to door because that's how he started his brand in California. Like all these stories around how introversion became a success, and all of them speak to systems. Like Ivan Meisner found out in later life that he was an introvert. And it was because he was having a conversation with his wife about, you know, the fact that he was as an extrovert, you know, A, B, and C. And his wife goes, no, you're an introvert he said, no, no, no. I founded BNI, the world's largest networking group in the world, of course I'm an extrovert. And she said, okay. So he went away and did the test and realized that he was an introvert. He would created the system for networking for BNI so he could create methodology out of the madness. And in the endorsement for my book, he says that I take that methodology and extend it beyond BNI to any networking room. So the key with, when you think about this, is there are what I call introverted titans everywhere. Mm-hmm. And because again, I excluded everybody else these introverted titans support my work in every way that they can because they're like finally somebody and I see this all the time. People are always like, oh, it's so hard to, to find a mission, and, and there's, there's, it's not it's not easy for me. The truth is there are underserved communities everywhere. And to be honest, even if there's one or two people in your community in this global economy we now live in, there are thousands of your Absolutely. potential clients all over the world. So today, I mean, I have a client we call the Mission Maven that work, that we niche down to health technical health tech companies and literally was struggling to make two and a half thousand dollars a month. And just by focusing on this, getting a message right. And we did what I call Trojan horse packaging, which I explained in the book. You know, she was up to $40,000 in a matter of months. And 18 months later, she was acquired all by focusing on helping helping health tech companies as the mission maven and sharing her story for how she wouldn't be alive today without the aid of technology that just came around at the specific time that she needed it. There's always something that you can build a message around that you can believe in as an introvert, because if you're not behind it and 100% authentic, it won't work for you. There's always products that you can sell or services that you can offer that you can be aligned with. So go and find that. And once you have it, then build a message, get that niche, not like a marketer says, find a niche and bend yourself to it, Find one that literally aligns with your passion and your mission. And then you can create a powerful set of stories to share And you'll find you won't be able to stop customers wanting to hire you. The problem is that because you can't articulate your value because it doesn't resonate with even you, how can you expect it to resonate with anyone else? As soon as you get all of that clear and all of it as a well-practiced system, right, especially today, you can then systemize it into your online tech activities. And in truth, you can get people using technology, psychology and strategy with the right messaging these days. You can get your own clients to chase you.
0: Absolutely. You know, when you talk about the introvert's edge, you say somewhere in the book that one of the primary edges, and let's go again to the networking scenario, one of the primary edges is the introvert's ability and propensity to listen. And to ask questions. And again, I'm grateful that I was taught this early on by a dad who drugged me to Dale Carnegie classes and, and be a wallflower and listen to this stuff. And I heard that. And again, it fit me as an introvert. But I realized that you go into a networking room and when you see the person is just going around and talking, and talking, and talking, and they're enamored with themselves and their own story. And they're talking and talking. And they're not listening to anyone that the edge is over here as you're listening. And I, I learned to listen, to ask questions, to say, tell me more about that whether I cared or not to do that and to seek, how can I help with them? And one of the things that I'll tend to do is, is hear somebody's story and then go, hmm, who could I align them with? Even if I just mentioned, say, man, I'm not sure if I can, but I have somebody who'd be, I think would be interested. I'll try to connect you guys. And you've all automatically got reciprocity. And of course, you're hoping that they'll stop finally and say, tell me about you. But if they don't, one of the things I finally realize I've best to do is if they don't just leave it. Because if they're not the kind of person that cares anyways, they're not ever going to. So just let it go. But back to listening and asking, which for an introvert, I mean, it's my comfort zone as well. And you're saying it's your edge.
1: Well, absolutely. So, I mean, our ability to listen and empathize are our two yes. primary edges. And that, you know, that goes for everything, even from stage. When somebody asks a thought out question when you're trying to make it about them, right, empathy is everything. But when you go into a networking room, the extrovert wants to make it all about themselves. Nobody likes that. I mean, there's been a whole bunch of studies about how people hate self-promotion. When you go into a networking room, I mean, people always as introverts worry, I don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything to say. But in truth, a lot of the times somebody empathizing with them and truly caring yeah. about what they're going through if they've had a rough day is enough. But you go in and you just say oh what is it that you do or what brought you here today and a discussion will start and make it all about them and offer them value offer them connections if you feel like it adds value and you're right you know if they are takers which is what i classify them as in the book and they never give back just cut them you know cut them out even if they're balance sheet oh if i introduce you to this person will you introduce me to that too hard too complicated right if they're a giver they'll say oh i'll introduce you you'll introduce them and you just won't focus on who gave people what, you just both care about each other. But you focus on giving them introductions, you focus on, you know, giving them some ideas and some tactics and some strategies, or just celebrate if they've had a good day, celebrate with them. Eventually, what will happen is they'll say, oh my gosh, Kevin, I can't believe I've just been talking about myself. What is it that you do? Now you've built yeah. so much reciprocity with them that they're like, oh, they want to listen to whatever you say. Now, even if you say that you sell insurance and they're screaming on the inside, they're going to want to listen to you. But if you say I'm the hustle lifeguard or the rapid growth guy, they're like, oh, that's actually interesting. Tell me more about that. And then you speak about your passion and your mission and your story about how you got to do what you do or a customer that you worked with that needed what you provide and how you got them to such a great outcome. They're then going to be in this they're gonna be enamored with you. They're just gonna go, oh my gosh, this person, I can't believe I haven't met them before. If they need what you offer, they're going to say, how can I work with you more? And at that point, you need to remove yourself from that. Yes, let's sell, sell, sell and say, well, look, I'd love to talk to you about that, but I don't know enough about you right now. I need to make sure that I'm the right fit. Why don't we set up a time to have a follow-up coffee or something like that? Because what will happen is if you try and sell at that moment, and I do this with my clients all the time, I get them to go through this pitch and then at the, at the end of them doing the networking spiel, I'll then say, oh, how do I, you know, what is it that, what does working with you look like? And they'll say, oh, I'm glad you asked. And they'll start telling me. And then I'll say, oh, Bob, I'm so glad to see you. <laughs> and, I'll, and they're like, oh, what just happened? And I'm like, well, you're at a networking event. Somebody else just walked up, right? You don't wanna be selling in a networking room because you can get interrupted. It's unwelcome, even if they say it is, book another time. But other people, will say, oh, my gosh, what you offer, Kevin, is so valuable. You know, let me introduce you to so-and-so and so-and-so, and -and and you can offer to give them introductions. They're identifying you as a momentum partner or you're identifying them as a momentum partner. If they're like, what I do, I really like what you do. Let me feature you on my podcast or let me write about you in one of my blogs. Now, all of a sudden, they may be arming themselves up to be one of your champions.
0: Well, and, you know, in that, you reminded me too, Matthew, just of – I've been a recipient of this as well. So we're talking about, you know, what I should be doing. I've been a recipient of this and I've had people join communities I've been a part of or, you know, connect with me somehow and who have gone out of their way to see how can they help me and how can you not have reciprocity? There have been times when I have given opportunities to somebody just because I felt so much reciprocity. I couldn't not. I mean, they just politely beat me into it and it, but it actually, I mean, it absolutely works as opposed to them coming and seeing what can they get from me. And you can smell it a mile away, you know, and all these aspects, go ahead. You were going to say something. Oh, I was just going
1: to say, it happens to me all the time. Yeah. I had one guy out of Argentina that made it his mission in life to get my book translated into Spanish. Wow. And he was like, I love your book. I want to see it translate. And he reached out to every publisher and he did all this stuff. And now- he didn't actually get it translated for me, but because of his energy, my publisher agreed to translate it themselves into Spanish. And, you know, because of that, you know, he and I got on a phone call and I offered him some advice and we had, you know, a, you know, a kind of off market, you know, coaching session to offer him advice. And we just, we're now friends, but I've got lots of people that have developed friendships with me because they've seen it as their mission in life to serve me. And how can you not want to serve someone back that totally. does so much for you? So it, it, it doesn't mean, I mean, now sure, If I didn't offer anything back and didn't try and reciprocate in any way, then clearly I'd just be a taker, right? And they should, you know, cut and run and find somebody else. But if I say, oh, that was really nice of you. Let me introduce you here. Let me do this for you or just share what they're saying Uh with their audience. I had one person that just wrote this amazing review of my book and she's an introvert coach. So what did I do? I shared her stuff and said, I just checked out her website. She's got some amazing stuff. People should check it out. Right. So she did something to put me forward. And I've now sent my audience, which is much bigger than hers because she's just getting started to her website. There's always something that somebody can do that's lower level to get somebody at higher levels attention. And I have to tell you that, you know, a lot of the people that are kind of higher level a lot of times all they really want is appreciation for their past work and to feel like you're not trying to get to anything. You know, like Ivan, Tom's a great example. Like, you know, I've got great relationships. I've never asked him for anything. He's always offering me things. And the reason is because I'm never asking. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that the power there is that people need to realize that, When they're talking to someone, it's not about closing the deal straight away. Even when you're speaking to someone in a transactional sales or that's trying to turn it into a sales transaction, you need to push back and say, no, let's have a follow up meeting. But for the other two groups, realize if anyone can fit in that momentum category or the champion category, if you sell to them, you are hurting your business in the long term.
0: Absolutely. I, I love you know just the aspect of giving, you know, give till you're offered. What a great strategy that we're missing in, you know, sales in the business world often. Well, you know, as people hear this, I mean, we're talking about the highlights. I mean, you created what I think is a I would say a playbook for networking, but is absolutely geared towards introverts, so on all these points, if you want to go deeper i 'm shameless on selling the or, or referencing the book here uh, for sure. but I do want to land on an area that I think is is more relevant now, maybe than ever uh, i 'm sure it is i mean we 're talking right now at the end of two thousand and twenty uh, before your book comes out actually, but we are in this. Covid pandemic—it's changed the face of business—and you speak to it in the last chapter of your book. What about this online world? Uh, Because obviously, right now, I don't know if I don't know if there's a networking event in person to be had. So, how do we do it? How can we facilitate it successfully online?
1: Absolutely. Well, firstly, there's a ton of networking that's happening online. I think people just don't know how to do it right. So. There are lots of what I call networking roulette sessions where, you know, people are getting in and doing, you know, there's a, a networking facility called Lunch Club. BNI offers one. Um, BX also has a online networking groups that they're running all the time. Um, but that said, I mean, networking isn't just uh, for, you know, conversations and things like that. You know, I, uh, Whitney, the example I gave that ended up getting acquired as the mission maven, you know, she was in a little city where she didn't have any, you know, health tech, billion dollar health tech companies around her. So what she started to do was connect with people and offer them value just using LinkedIn and then sharing great content online. You know, one of the things that's so important to realize, and, you know, as I said, if you can't be the clearest, you have to be the loudest. I see people do this online all the time. Now, when I say that, I also want to make sure that people realize that if you're the person that's sending pitch messages on LinkedIn, my advice is to stop that right away, right? You like, I think what happened is everyone went, oh, transactional networking is not available anymore, so I'm just going to mass send pictures out to everyone. And that's burning your brain. So I would suggest you stop that straight away. But if you've got the right message and you know your niche really well, and you've got your stories and you understand their pain that they're going through and you have a strong message, then you're powerful online. I mean, I can tell you, I mean, going back, you know, I, I as I told you, I was responsible for five multi million dollar success stories, but they're all bricks and mortar, telemarketing, direct sales. I have to tell you, I'm almost ashamed to say this now, but my pride, my ego was a lot attached to my ability that I learned how to sell. So I kind of thought online was a little bit of like, you know, people that were too scared to just go and see people. And I convinced myself of that. And then when I moved to the U.S., I had this realization that, you know, if if I ever want to visit my family back at home, I can't have 50 staff and bricks and mortar offices here in the U.S. And what if somebody gets sick? So because of that, I was like, all right, I need to go online. Well, the truth is that the exact reasons why you're failing in networking, you don't have a concise message, people can't understand the value, they can't feel aligned with your mission, is exactly why you're going to fail online. So the whole idea of this book is to get you from the point of understanding what it takes to be successful in the networking room so you don't have to go anymore. And online networking is so simple because everybody, and we're putting down ice cream really badly here, but everyone has a vanilla message online. Mm -hmm. So they sell insurance, they sell real estate, they sell coaching, they sell this, they sell that. The problem is that's not exciting. And I've already gone, yep, don't need that, don't need that. Not even reading the pictures, just closing them. Now, Angela was one of my clients. And I mean, when she came in, she was only going through my online rapid growth academy. And like she had you know, she, her husband had had multiple uh, belts with cancer. And so she was completely responsible for the income and she was losing money every month in her own business. And she got herself up to finally getting rapid growth in the program, you know, through you know, applying these strategies and then going out networking and selling. And it worked so well. And this was in August before COVID hit, right? The year before last year. And she, you know, all of a sudden, you know her husband got a re-emergence of cancer and he was uh, immune compromised. So she couldn't go outside. So she built this business around networking and selling face-to-face and delivering communication, you know, so that she had to go and do live trainings, and now she couldn't do it. Yeah. So she built the message that was working online and the stories and everything into her online business. In April, during COVID, she had her best sales period that she has ever had mm-hmm. in her entire business, all because she built it in online. So what I tell people is that if you have a great message, you know your niche then you can put content out that gets your ideal clients to go, oh my gosh, this is my person. I mean, my book's called The Introvert's Edge to Networking. And because of that, it showed up on Kevin's desk and Kevin went, this person's my person, right? That's what, if you've got great messaging, you can break through the noise. If not, yeah, you have to put out a podcast every day. You've got a blog every day. It's exhausting and I'm not doing it. I'm also not the guy that's going to take a photo of my donut for something to say on Instagram. So because of that, I have to be more strategic. But when you're strategic, you really can, as I said before, use technology, psychology and strategy to get your ideal clients to chase you. And most of it, in fact, can be automated. But if you don't have a great strategy, you have to get used to the hustle. And that's exhausting.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, yeah, I, I appreciate getting this on my desk. Uh, I wanted to bring it to the audience because it spoke to me. I know it will to so many because it's an area that so many people who have a great product, have a great service, really can help people, really want to help people, and yet they're missing it because they don't know the structure of what you wrote in a really smart way. I actually, I got to admit too, I mean, I, I've had a lot of books. I just enjoyed reading it. There's some of the books that have great messages that aren't a fun read. You wrote it uh, in a way that was just really intriguing as well and drew me in. And man, it's been fun to talk with you. I'm eager to get this out and appreciate you doing the work to, uh, to put this out and help all of us introverts uh, who will do a good job once we take the structure that you've outlined. Man, thank you for being here, Matthew. Uh, it's been a gift.
1: It was my absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Well, what do you think about all that, my introvert friends? That is, uh, well, again, just empowering. Uh, Good news and counsel, to say the least, for us introverts. Again, you can get the first chapter of The Introvert's Edge to Networking at theintrovertsedge.com slash networking. Coming up in episode 850, I asked my listeners, journaling questions. Everyone talks about journaling, but are you really getting value from it? Then I had Jess Ekstrom come back and join me as our resident journaling expert. We covered a lot of the key questions and struggles around journaling. So, so many of our rock star leaders and influencers that we all listen to and follow cite the power of journaling in their lives and many of us try to adopt it as a result, but often fail to find great value. This show then is for you.